Thanks so much for finding us here at the Morning Glory Project. I'm your host, Betsy Graziani-Fassbender, and my co-producer, Angela Washington, and I are ever so proud and honored to bring the stories of amazing people to you. These are survivors, thrivers, innovators, and trailblazers who tell us not just their stories, but how they got through whatever they got through to get to where they are. We hope you find them as inspiring as we do. Thanks so much for listening and for giving us the honor of your time. I am very happy today to welcome to the Morning Glory Project, Joanne Green. Small in stature, large in presence, and always in charge, Joanne Green anchored the news and hosted talk shows on San Francisco radio while totally devoted to her family until a traumatic accident suddenly removed her ability to control anything. Her debut book, By Accident, A Memoir of Letting Go, is a story of resilience and perseverance, of will and pluck, and of positivity and gratitude for lessons learned, even as the personal hits just kept coming. Joanne also hosts two podcasts in this story, which are three-minute micro-essays for women of a certain age, and all the F-words, which she and her Gen X co-host explore everything from fun and friendship to fiber, fraud, and feng shui. Welcome to the Morning Glory Project, Joanne Green. I'm so pleased to have you here. And I'll confess to our listeners, Joanne and I happen to live in the same town, so we got to have our pre-recording meeting in person, which was a delight. Thank you so much for being with me today. And thank you for having me, Betsy. I think the Morning Glory Project is wonderful, and I'm honored to be a part of it. Well, so I'm going to start by asking you about the title of your book, By Accident. And I know from our earlier conversation that it has multiple meanings for you. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. The book begins with a traumatic car accident. I was hit by a car as a pedestrian. And as you mentioned in the introduction, it absolutely felled me in terms of both physical injuries and psychological trauma, but it prevented me from taking care of myself. And I had to depend on others. I had to be in stillness, which is something I had never done in my life. I've always been a person in constant motion, a human doing rather than a human being. And I know someone else said that, I'm quoting. John Bradshaw, actually, decades ago. There you go. So even though at that point in my life, I was 58, I had endured many challenges, including just prior to this, the loss of my mother, my sister, and my brother, I had many opportunities to learn certain lessons that would allow me to live a richer and more meaningful life, but it took this accident for me to really learn what I needed to learn in this lifetime. Well, and tell me the nature of, I mean, this was a, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, a vehicle versus human accident. Tell me about the accident itself and your injuries. What, what was the result? I was crossing a street, broad daylight, in a crosswalk, a car stopped for me. This was 2012. I was trying to rush home. I wasn't rushing though, but I was trying to get home from work in order to see the first debate between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. 
which was going to be televised, a car stopped for me. And just as I got in front of that car, and that car was a sedan, which is relevant to the story you'll hear in just a moment, I heard what sounded like an explosion and found myself airborne, literally flying up in the air. What had happened was a a guy in a truck had come at full speed, which on the street was probably about 45, 50 miles an hour, clearly was looking somewhere else or nowhere, and plowed into the sedan that had stopped for me. She hit me. Because it was a sedan, I flew up onto her hood. Had she been driving an SUV, I probably would have been instantly killed. So she kind of, it was like it scooped you up because the low nose of the sedan. Exactly. It hit me right um, on my hip. Miraculously, I did not break my hip, but I did um, sustain four pelvic fractures and all of the soft tissue on the right side of my body was crushed. So she was catapulted 50 feet down the street with me on her hood, with my head banging against her windshield. And then I fell off onto the street never lost consciousness. And when I landed on the street, I was in shock. And my initial reaction was, okay, I'm alive. Well, so let me pause for a second, because to never lose consciousness during that, even to this day, you remember all the details of it. Absolutely. That had to be, I mean, shock shock is both a medical term and a psychological one in a way. And and I think, you know, your body had to be in shock, but was there just disbelief? Like Absolutely. I recall, you know, it's interesting when something like that happens, time is altered. Mm-hmm. So so I heard what sounded like an explosion. It didn't sound like a car accident because there was no screeching of brakes. Usually when you think of a car accident, you think of sure. This was just and so as that was happening, my entire body, mind, heart, spirit was screaming, really? Really, world, universe, God, whatever? Now this, after what I've been through, because I had been to hell and back over the previous four years with these losses. Right. Well, and you lost your mom and your sister in very short order. Five months apart. Hmm. And they were my right and left hand. And I had been spending the previous however many years running back and forth to their two homes, um, taking care of them, and really trying to give my mother not only what I would give her, but what my sister would give her if she could and couldn't because she had stage four ovarian cancer and was very compromised. So here's this, I think of like a rag doll getting scooped up and flung about. (laughs) and you're laying there and your thought is first I'm alive. And then really God, (laughs) actually other way around, other Other, way around. around. Yeah. Other way around. I didn't feel like I was alive until the incident ended while her car was moving with me on it. And, and I remember this so well, I, all I could hear in my head was stop the car, stop the car, stop the car. I knew the event wasn't over and that I was still in very big danger of of not surviving this. And then when I landed on the ground, I thought, okay, I'm I'm alive. I've survived. What I didn't know was that I wasn't out of the woods yet because 
over the next five days in the hospital, I was very much in danger of bleeding out. And a number of times um, my vitals were plummeting and they prepped me for surgery and didn't do surgery. There was no surgery, but Wait, so five pelvic fractures and there's no surgery? Four, because Four. the um, they don't know where the blood's coming from. That's the problem. In a, in a case like that, there's just so much internal bleeding and it's coming from all different places that they really don't want to operate because it's not going to be easy to find where the biggest problem is coming from in order to fix it. So, so let me understand this. You've got a pelvis that's broken in four places and you just have to kind of wait for it to find its way back together and mend. You got it. There are no screws. There's no setting. There's no nothing. Well, I'm going to, I have one word for this and it's ouch. Ow. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine the amount of pain that that must be. Yeah. There was pain. And, and so this clearly immobilized you. You know, you can't be walking around while you're waiting for your pelvics to find pelvic bones to find one another again and join up. No, there, I couldn't put any pressure at all on my right side for six weeks. Fortunately, I was in good physical condition. I had been working out and I had enough upper body strength that I could carry most of my weight on my arms with a walker. Mm. But even that, it was absolutely excruciating to move at all. And once, you know, a day or two went by, then I was having all flashbacks of the accident and all the sure. all the emotional trauma that was going on. And um, yeah, it's daunting. Um, I don't know if your mom ever said this to you, but I remember hearing, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, I've never loved that phrase. I'm going to confess to you. <laughs> I hated that phrase. I hated it. And yet, um, somewhere I found the strength to say, and it became my mantra, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. So maybe we need to amend that phrase. Maybe it's not whatever kills you, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's what doesn't kill you gives the opportunity to make yourself stronger. Maybe I like that better. I like it a lot better. And I would say that one of my big takeaways from this whole experience and, and uh, a little gem that I hope to share with your listeners and my readers and anyone who could use this insight is that bad things are going to happen to all of us. We will all experience loss. We will all experience illness, our own or that of someone close to us. Many of us will experience injury. Some of us will experience divorce. We will get fired from jobs. We will fail. Every single one of those things is an opportunity for personal growth. And I'm not saying one shouldn't bemoan one's fate. Mourning is critical, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, because all of it is loss. You have to feel through the pain. But then there are other steps you can take. There are other messages you can tell yourself you know, we are not the victims of our own minds. We have the opportunity to tell ourselves messages that will serve us. Mm -hmm. So often we tell ourselves things that don't serve us, like you're not good enough. 
you know, the, the people who apologize constantly, oh, I'm just, I'm tired. I know I don't construct sentences well. I'm so, I'm such a klutz. I'm da, 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 da. All of that. When I was a child, I thought if I crashed my bicycle, it was punishment for something else I had done. And I would stop and think about what was it that I had done that caused this to happen. As opposed to like your book, sometimes things just happen by accident. Sometimes things happen by accident, but I also question whether there are really any accidents. Because so what do you mean by that? What I mean is that I firmly believe that I had missed a few opportunities to get some of the lessons that I needed to get in this lifetime. And so I kept getting more opportunities. Even after the accident, I had a bad diagnosis and had to have surgery, and then I was fine. And then there was something else that they saw that they thought might be cancer, and I had to have another surgery, and then I was fine. I kept having these opportunities to practice my new learnings about how to breathe, how to absolutely take time to be mindful. Um, I was a person who could never meditate. That involved sitting still and shutting up. I could do neither of those things. <laughs> and now I have a regular practice. Well, so let, let's stay here for a second because you talked about being a human doing. You were a doer. You were accomplished. You had a profession. You rose high in that profession to be a broadcaster in San Francisco. Not such an easy thing. It's a crowded field. And it, it, certainly at that time, I don't know even what, if there even is broadcasting in radio anymore. It seems like it's all canned stuff now, but Th that is a whole other episode. A whole other episode we can talk about. Um, but, and, and then you were the doer in your family, the, the caretaker of your mom. And then you took on your sister's portion of caretaking when she could no longer do that. I understood then when your brother passed away, you, be, you got promoted, if you will, or inherited the throne of matriarch in the family. And so you were somebody that did, 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 does, 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 right? And so then you're put literally on your back in bed where you can't put weight on your body and you have to have assistance for everything and you have to just sit still for a while. That had to be quite a head trip. It was daunting. To be still with yourself for a while. Tell me about those moments. That was the beginning of the wrestling match of teaching you to get still, be still with yourself. There were a lot of things upon which I was able to draw. One, I think, is this inner survivor that lives inside me. My um, ancestors fled persecution in Europe and came to this country with nothing mm -hmm. and, and built a life. And although none of them were educated in terms of formal education, maybe even not past eighth grade, that was the the emphasis, you know, education will bring opportunities. So there's this fighter in me, this inner strength that I drew upon. Um, I've always been an optimist, eternally optimistic, sometimes to my detriment. And it gets me in trouble because often there'll be a big red flag and I go, oh yeah, that's fine. We can, we can, we can take care of that. And um, so my optimistic side and my survivor side kept saying, we've got this, we've got this. Now that battled with the voice that said, what, they, when they told me the recovery would be a year to a year and a half, like, can you even imagine? I hadn't ever thought beyond two weeks. 
anything that had ever happened to me in my life before was like pretty much a two week turnaround, maybe three if there's a complication. And I'd had some surgeries already. And I'd, I, I knew what it meant to be down and then to recover. But this was of another ilk. Um, I'll tell you probably the, and this is such a simple thing, Betsy, gratitude, 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 gratitude. So you can look at the cup as half empty or half full, but you can look at what you don't have or at any given moment, you can remind yourself and almost repeat again and again what your blessings are. What do I have right now? So, okay, I can't walk, I can't move, I can't do anything, but I have this incredible husband who is going to get me my food. And we have the resources to get through this, even if I lose many paychecks because my my sick leave is certainly going to run out and disability is only a fraction of, of my earnings. And he's not able to work the way he ordinarily would because so much of his time is going to be spent dealing with the insurance company, the, the physical therapists, the devices that I need. Um, you know, the reacher, the shower bench, the thing that raises the toilet seat up, all of these things. He's managing all of that, plus the phone calls, the flowers that are being delivered, all the relatives who wants to come see me. And at the beginning, I didn't want to see anyone. So gratitude. Well, I want to say something about that because I think that it's unfair but I think that the notion of gratitude and counting one's blessings and focusing on that has become cliched. I think it's become kind of popularized and it, and it can sound as though it's minimizing like, oh, I'm going to count my blessings. And, and there are people that have had true and deep and lasting tragedies in their lives, abuses, their children being murdered by gunfire. I mean, you know, there, there are big things. It's very hard to find gratitude in those moments. And I'm not suggesting in any way that you are trivializing such matters. I'm saying that I think that this notion of looking at what is good, finding it even in dark moments, has been trivialized a little bit by kind of this popular notion of gratitude counting and, and all of those things. And I think it's deeper and better than that. I think it's more vital than the trivialization of it might imply that what you're really doing is saying, now, wait a minute, what is there to live for? What is important? What is good? Even in this dark place, what is the good thing? We're in dark times in our country and people are struggling to find the good. And it, and I always say that there is more good than bad. It's just that bad has a better publicist. <laughs> you know, the, the ugly in the world gets more attention. If it bleeds, it leads, right? That's the 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 tenet of journalism. And I think that this notion of finding the good in the darkness, finding the gratitude in the pain, finding the love in the loss is, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And it works. It's really, it's really tough to argue with when you have proof staring you in the face. I mean, so here's the thing. And when you're in pain or in terror, in fear or in grief, and there's love in the room or there's love in in one's realm, you gravitate to that because that is a balm for the pain. 
It just is. If there's someone who is being gentle, like I, I have friends who came to visit me who somehow innately knew how to talk and walk around a person who's broken. You move more slowly. Mm. You speak more quietly. And then I have other friends whom I love dearly, and they came in with all of their nervous energy. It was difficult to see me this way, I'm sure, if you had a close friend who was th that broken. And I felt unsafe around them. So you gravitate toward what helps. Um, I gravitated toward spirituality. I have a, a, a spiritual tradition um, and a community that is built around caring for one another. And they showed up like no other. And that made an enormous difference. You also talked when, when you and I spoke earlier about and I thought you had a unique angle on the notion of forgiveness too, because not everybody could show up for you, not even just during this injury, but in your growing up and in, in how your parents raised you, there, there were, there were missing things. And can you tell me what you sort of discovered about forgiveness in this process? I think it's a natural human tendency to want to blame and, and lash out. And so and sometimes it's easier to pick some small thing and have that be the focus of your anger than the larger thing. So in this case, the larger thing was that I had just been hit by a car and I was physically and emotionally broken. But someone in my life who I would have expected to show up for me didn't. And I was inordinately put out by this. I thought about it a lot. I dwelled on it a lot. Um, I got like really angry and felt victimized by that rather than by what had happened. And that gave me pause. I thought I didn't like that feeling. And so I wanted to dig a little deeper and find out why I was feeling that. And it allowed me to move to a place of acceptance that not everyone is comfortable showing up in situations like this. Not everyone has, for instance, my degree of need for intimacy. I seek it. I always have. I was the baby of the family. I probably, you know, short of going all psychobabble on you here now, I, I probably didn't feel enough or get enough of the kind of attention that I felt I needed. So I, I, I seek it throughout my life, but not everyone does. And people have all kinds of reasons why they might not show up. It might be denial. It might be they're just so busy, they're not thinking about you at all. It might be that when something is uncomfortable, they shut it out. Someone I know actually witnessed the accident and drove off. And I see that person fairly regularly, our paths cross, and I've had to totally just accept that that was her reaction. And that didn't mean that she didn't care about me. It meant that that's what she was capable of doing at that moment. Well, let me say, too, that to be able to arrive at that place of, I'm going to call it acceptance more than forgiveness. It's, it's of really accepting that that was the degree of her capacity as opposed to she did that to me, that that to come to that level accept, of acceptance, to have somebody, to know that somebody saw the accident and, 
and left, didn't stay there. I think that'd be a, a tough hill to climb for lots and lots of people. <laughs> that would be a, that would be a tough acceptance to, to take in and a tough forgiveness to, to give, but it's, evidence of the deep work that you were doing when you were being still. I had a lot of time on my hands, Betsy, <laughs> a lot of time. Here's the thing, be, you know, being a victim and remaining in a place of resentment and anger is not self-serving. Who is suffering? That person doesn't care. First of all, they don't even know that I'm, <laughs> that I'm dwelling and feeling this way. It didn't help me. And I couldn't afford at that time to do anything that was going to make my plight worse or harder. Well, they say that forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. And and what I, how I kind of think of it for myself, Joanna, is that when I'm doing that, when I'm in that kind of bitter headspace, I'm in a prison of my own design. You know, I've, I've designed the bars and the cage and the lock and the, all of it. And I'm in there and, and I'm in there by myself. And it's such a, such a perilous and unnecessary like that doesn't mean that I don't believe in accountability and holding people culpable if they've done something. And sometimes it means having a confrontation or, or limiting a relationship because someone's capacity is too limited for me to have a healthy relationship with them. All of those things are true, but to lay there literally in your case and, and metaphorically in all of our cases to, to sit there and ruminate and resent and all of that is just, it's a hell of a hell of a jail cell to spend a lot of time in. So I learned. So you learned. Well, by accident um, is full of lots more than we had time to cover today, though I'm grateful for this time and grateful that your realization of I'm alive was true and that you're still with us because you're still doing beautiful, good things in the world. By accident by Joanne Green. And I'm going to spell that for those who are listening so that you can find her at joannegreen.com. It's Joanne, J-O-A-N-N-E, and Green, spelled the traditional way, but with an E on the end. So you get E's on both of them. Joanne Green, by accident. You are certainly not by accident, and I'm glad that you're with me today. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Betsy. My conversation with Joanne Green today got me thinking about accidents. And... I don't know what I believe about that. I don't know if I believe that there are no accidents that lots of people say, or that life's just chance. You roll the dice, random things happen. But I do know that whether by accident, by fate, by design, or by self-fulfilling prophecy, when challenging things happen, they are opportunities. Opportunities to reevaluate, opportunities to decide how we want to be, opportunities to recalibrate the importance of things, to give new scale. One day, having just the perfect dinner table for Thanksgiving feels like the most vital thing, and then there's a loss in the family, and all of a sudden the Thanksgiving dinner table isn't important at all. Tragedies, losses, accidents... Injuries, illnesses, losses do give us a new scale to measure things by and perhaps a new opportunity for what Joanne really discovered, which is about the real and deep kind of gratitude 
that helps us to open our hearts, to look at the good things, and to serve as a balm, as she said, for those things that are painful or tragic. I'm going to be thinking about accidents (laughs) and asking myself if I believe in them at all or if they're just simply opportunities. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Morning Glory Project and that as you go about your days, as you look at the events in your own life, that you see them as opportunities for perspective, for scale, for forgiveness, for acceptance, because I know that that's a great way to bloom. <laughs>